You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 to 23, and we're going to be asking the question, do I understand God's plan? But before we take a look at that portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to mention to you. I want to invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com, and you'll notice right on the front page of our website a link to sign up to our newsletter. And once a week, usually on Tuesdays, I send out a newsletter with any new content that we have posted at DesireJesus.com. So each week we tend to post one blog post that has a transcript of that week's Bible study. It's very easy to share. It's very easy to reference. Many people enjoy having the opportunity to look back at it and read the content, whether it be on their smartphone or on their computer. So we post that on Tuesdays. And to be notified when a new post goes live, sign up for our newsletter. You'll get a notification in your email. You'll also notice on our website that we have links to both of our podcasts. So if you listen to the informal Bible study, you'll probably also enjoy listening to our daily podcast, which is the Chapter a Day Audio Bible. And what we do there is we've been working our way through the Scriptures, recording one chapter of Scripture each day, and making it available to listen to online. So we invite you to stop by our website, again, desirejesus.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter, and you'll get notifications once a week in your email of any new content that we've posted. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're asking the question, do I understand God's plan. And we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 to 23. So let me read that for us right now. This is what it says in the passage. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Because you have said, The Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Koliah and Zedekiah the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord will make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being able to look at your word together today. And as we look at this portion of Scripture, we pray, Lord, that you'd give us your wisdom and your insight as we understand more about your plans for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. And we commit our time to you now as we look at your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, I remember a family that I was friends with telling me that they had five separate calendars hanging up in their kitchen. And at the time that they said this, I thought that sounded very funny. But now I understand where they were where they were coming from with this idea, because what they were doing is they did this to keep track of all the schedules of everyone in their household. They had three children, so they had three schedules there, plus mom and dad. So five separate calendars, and they kept them all hung up in their kitchen, and it helped them keep track. And I have to admit that at this point, I do something similar except in digital form. My wife and I have the schedules of each member of our our family in our phones, and we're also keeping track of our church calendar and other ministry obligations, but we're watching all of these things all the time, trying to be mindful of the things that we have coming up next on the calendar. Having a schedule like this that I can look at, it helps me to plan and it helps me to get things accomplished, and it helps me to make the best use of my time. And you probably feel the very same way about your schedule and your calendar. Planning is not something that is unique to us. In fact, Scripture reveals to us that the Lord himself has a long-term plan that he is in the process of unfolding. But what is God's plan? And do we understand what he's actually trying to accomplish? Let's take some time to look at what he reveals about his plan here in Jeremiah chapter 29. And one of the things, one of the principles that this portion of Scripture illustrates is the fact that the Lord looks out for his people. Let me reread the opening verses that we just looked at, verse 10 down to verse 14. It says this, For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. 
and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture, and it's something that's quoted quite frequently. I had an interesting experience at the store the other day. It seems like interesting things always happen there, right? Well, I was waiting in line to buy food, and while I was waiting in line, a small child walked up to me with something in her hand that she had pulled off the shelf. Now, it wasn't anything dangerous or breakable. It was just a small package of plastic cups, and she was looking up at me while she had this package of plastic cups in her hand, and then she dropped them on the ground, and walked over to the candy racks. And at that point, she pulled a bag of candy off the shelf, and she started walking a little bit further up. And I noticed that she was starting to get a little too close for comfort to the front door. And I wondered while this was happening, where are her parents? Her family didn't seem to be watching her, and I was getting a little bit nervous because if she walked out the front door, it was only just the width of a sidewalk before she'd immediately be in the parking lot. So I kept an eye on her for a few moments, and I did so to make sure that she didn't walk outside until her family finally came over to her and picked her up. And her parents, while they were doing all the different things that they needed to do in the store, took their eye off their daughter for a little too long. And I have to admit, it made me feel uncomfortable because it seemed like a safety issue to me in that particular context, even though I recognize that that's very, very easy to do. But one of the things that we can be grateful for in regard to our walk with the Lord is that the Lord continually looks out for his people. Now, it's true when you look through the book of Jeremiah that the people of Judah that Jeremiah was ministering to, they were rebellious against the Lord. They had a habit of embracing idolatry, and they were now being disciplined by being taken into captivity by the nation of Babylon. And through Jeremiah, that generation of people was told to settle down in Babylon. You actually see this earlier in chapter 29. They were told to just settle down there, to build houses, to plant gardens, to have children, because it was going to be a full 70 years before the people of Judah would be returning to their land. And yet the Lord was going to look out for them throughout this entire process. In this scripture, the Lord makes it clear that when the time of their captivity was over, they were going to be brought back to their homeland. He makes it clear to them that his plans for their future and for their hope would not be thwarted. Again, this is found in verse 11, which I recognize is probably one of the most quoted verses in Scripture, but it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So he tells them that that though they had a bad habit of running from him, there would come a day when the people of Judah would be known for seeking him with their whole heart. And when that was the case, their fortunes would be restored. Now again, I recognize that this portion of Scripture was initially given to the people of Judah, and it's making reference to something very specific that the Lord was going to do in their situation. But the principles that are illustrated here, they apply to everyone who trusts in the Lord. The Lord actively looks after the well-being of his children. In fact, we see this same concept illustrated in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And those verses say this, Humble yourselves, therefore, 
under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what his word tells us. He cares for us. The Lord is looking out for the welfare of his people. One of the biggest differences between those who know the Lord and those who don't is the presence of genuine hope in our lives. We can be certain that in the midst of every season of adversity, anxiety, or even exile, that Jesus is present with us. He is the source of our hope. Our hope isn't anchored in ideal earthly circumstances. Our true hope is in Jesus Christ, who assures us that he will never leave us. His plan is to eventually glorify us with him. And time and time again, the Word of God illustrates to us that the Lord looks out for and sincerely cares for his people. And he was making that clear to the people of Judah through Jeremiah's preaching, and he also makes that clear to us as well. Now, as we continue looking at Jeremiah chapter 29, there's something else here that we could look at as a caution. As people who are trying to understand the plan of God, one of the things that the Lord wants us to be adept at doing is discerning which voices he desires us to listen to. So look at what it says in verse 15 down to verse 19. It says, Because you have said, The Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon. Thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them, because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants the prophets. But you would not listen, declares the Lord. So as we've been looking at the book of Jeremiah, it's become clear to us that the people of Judah hated his preaching, right? They absolutely hated what he had to say. They despised it. They did not appreciate the messages from the Lord that Jeremiah was delivering to them. He was treated like a nuisance or an irritant and was therefore ignored. But Jeremiah wasn't the only person who was speaking to the people of Judah. They also had some false prophets that Satan had raised up in their midst who preached a message that was much more palatable and desirable to the people. And some of those false prophets went with the people into captivity in Babylon. And even though the Lord was making it clear through Jeremiah that the captivity was going to last 70 years, the false prophets were telling the people that they would be back in Judah in no time at all. They were telling them two years max, and then they'd be back. Meanwhile, the Lord made it clear in these verses that those who didn't go into exile in Babylon, those who remained in Jerusalem, would be experiencing a fate that was worse than exile to a foreign land. They would face the sword, famine, and pestilence. The people of the world would look at them and shake their heads in horror and shake their heads in disgust. 
They would be thought of as a cursed people by the nations that were familiar with their fate. Again, while this message was absolutely true, it wasn't a pleasant thing to hear. The empty promises of the false prophets were highly preferred over the painful truth that Jeremiah was revealing. Are there false prophets among us today as well? Truth is, there certainly are. In every generation, Satan raises up people who preach a false gospel. And he does this in his vindictive efforts to keep the mass of humanity in perpetual spiritual blindness. So if that's going on, if that's the case, how can we recognize false prophets? How can we recognize their teaching? How could we recognize who they are? Well, let me suggest several things that can help us recognize false prophets. First of all, they preach a message that depends on human effort, and it minimizes the saving work that Christ has done on our behalf. Second, they emphasize earthly ideals, and they encourage people to strive for temporary riches. Third, they promise ultimate peace, comfort, and contentment in something other than Jesus. And fourth, their lack of character starts to become evident when they're looked at closely. From a distance, they might look good, but when you look at their lives closely, if you actually get to know them, their lack of character becomes evident. So if that's the case, if we're trying to recognize false prophets in our midst so that we could be forewarned of their activity— How can we reduce their influence in our lives? Well, here's a few suggestions related to doing just that. First, pray that the Lord gives us discernment. I like what we're told in Psalm 25, verses 4 and 5. It says this, Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Scripture reminds us that we should be people who are praying that the Lord gives us discernment, that he helps us to know his ways, that he helps us by teaching us his paths and encouraging us to walk in those paths. A second thing that we can do to reduce the influence of false teachers or false prophets in our lives is this. Hold every philosophy up to the light of the gospel as it's communicated in Scripture. Just hold it up to the light of the gospel. Compare it with what the Scripture actually teaches. And a third thing is this. Seek counsel from Christians whose lifestyle you've had the opportunity to observe up close. It's important that we actually take teaching from people that we can see where their life is going or what they choose to engage in or what their life looks like when they think nobody is watching them. And when you look at this portion of Jeremiah's book, you have the Lord speaking through Jeremiah and teaching us to discern which voices he desires that we listen to. In fact, that's part of his plan for your life and my life. And one other thing that's brought up in Jeremiah 29 that I want to bring up today is this. And this is the concept that we need to be careful not to blame God for our decisions. Now look at what it says in verse 20 down to verse 23. It says this, Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles, whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Coliah and Zedekiah the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and he shall strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah in Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbors' wives, and they have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows, and I am witness, declares the Lord. We excel at making excuses in all kinds of areas. This is an issue not just for us, it's an issue for all humanity. But basically, if we want to do something bad enough, we'll find a way and we'll find a reason to actually do it. And I remember some years ago, a young man came to me and he asked me for my marriage advice. He was engaged to be married to a woman that didn't share his faith in Christ, and she also had a frequent habit of seeking unhealthy forms of attention from other men. And it was getting to the point where it was fostering a high degree of distrust in their relationship, and he was considering calling off the upcoming wedding. And I shared with him uh, a few things about what Scripture actually teaches about marriage, And I also told him that from what I had observed in working with many couples through the years, that their marriage was very unlikely to survive if he went through with it. Not long after that, his father came to me and made certain to tell me that he did not agree with the advice that I gave his son. Uh, Even though the advice I gave was straight from Scripture, the father said he didn't believe the advice was biblical. He insisted that it was God's will that they get married. He really liked his son's fiance, and he didn't want their relationship to end. And not long after that, they followed through with getting married, and literally within just a few months, for the very reasons that I had cautioned this man not to get married to this woman, they ended the marriage. In my opinion, it was an unfortunate yet very predictable outcome. A dangerous practice that can be somewhat common for believers to engage in is to elevate our feelings and preferences over the clear and direct counsel of God's Word. We justify our decisions by saying things like, I feel this is what God's leading me to do. But sadly, our justifications can display a great degree of similarity to the issues that are present in this portion of Jeremiah's book. Through Jeremiah, the Lord said, They have spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. This willingness to invoke the name of God to justify their desire to follow their own inclinations led them further and further away from him. But God's plan for us is so much higher than the ideas or the pursuits that we're able to craft in our own thinking. We're reminded of this fact in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, where we're told, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
Just like the people of Judah, we were once exiles living outside of the will of God. We were crafting our own will and our own plans, and those plans were taking us in a direction that was absent of his leading. So our gracious Lord interjected himself into the mess we were busy making. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to give liberty to everyone who was living like an exile from God's kingdom who would trust in him. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. There we're told, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we understand God's plan for us? His plan truly is to give us hope and a future through His Son, Jesus Christ. We find contentment through Jesus. We find peace and forgiveness through Jesus. We find security and power through Jesus. It is the plan of our sovereign Creator to make us a new creation through Jesus. If you've been resisting the Lord's plan for your life, don't resist Him any longer. Welcome Christ's presence and divine work to be accomplished within you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that you've given us today to be able to look at this portion of the book of Jeremiah and to meditate on its content and by your grace to grow from it. Lord, we pray that we would not resist your plan. We pray that we wouldn't take our plan and somehow use it to supersede what your desire is for us. Lord, we pray that we would trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and welcome the transformation of mind and heart and thought and life that you accomplish in the life of everyone who trusts in your Son. So we commit ourselves to you today. We thank you, Lord, for these reminders from your Word, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com, where you can check out our blog and our bookstore, but also where you can sign up for our weekly newsletter. If you want to be on our weekly email list, just sign up right there at desirejesus.com. You'll see the link right on the front page of our website. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout Scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.